The reading is from Matthew 5 <clears throat> through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We start a new sermon series today. Uh, many of you know that I like to plan things out way in advance. It helps me in preparing my sermons because I can read over a longer period of time on a topic and I can kind of formulate ideas in my mind and I'm not spending as much time week to week trying to catch up because I've already got an idea of what I'm going to do and some basic outlines and different ideas way ahead of time. Well, COVID kind of messed that up for us because I was actually supposed to be on a sabbatical for July and August and we were gonna have some lay um, speakers in and some friends of mine that were gonna come in and fill for um, my time that, away. And obviously that has changed and we are um, in a different situation. And some of the Sundays that we were gonna do like a mission trip Sunday and uh, our 4th of July weekend, usually I did in the past a, a biographical, biographical sermon of some American Christian from, from history. And so that all kind of changed and we had to open up some space in our services this year by condensing down and changing how we were doing our summer series and structures. And it opened up about nine weeks here and I, um, I put feelers out to quite a few people just asking what, what should we do for this and somebody suggested the Beatitudes. And I really thought that that was a great idea, especially for the time that we're in with all the, the tumult that we are cur currently feeling, not just because of COVID-19, but also because of racial issues within the United States, because of economic issues that we're feeling all over the globe because of COVID-19, and because of political um, unrest that we're feeling in various places all over the the world not just in the united states but there's been political upheaval and political revolts and there's been people who have been elected into power who are not your typical politicians in countries all over at least the western world and it started even before that in the arab world with what we kind of know now as the arab spring of, um, of young people kind of revolting against the system and the way things were. And so there seems to be kind of this season that we're in of discontent. And so as I heard somebody suggest to me the idea of doing this series on the Beatitudes, it struck me as a very good topic for these times in particular. 
Now I wanna set the stage for you for what is going on because a few of us uh, went to Israel this last year and I had gone to Israel the year before to kind of scout out a trip for our church. And one of the visits and one of the stops that we make is on a mountain in the Sea of Galilee that is known as the Mount of Beatitudes. And at the very top of the mountain, there is a chapel that has been built that has eight sides on it. And each side rec is references one of the Beatitudes. And there's windows that you can see out to the vistas around that mountain. And it's quite a cool chapel. It's a neat place to go and to visit. Now, we don't know for sure that that is the spot where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. But it seems to fit well with the story that we get in Matthew about Jesus's surroundings and what Jesus is doing at the time that he preaches this sermon. And there's this mountain that goes down almost into a bowl. And the bowl kind of ends right down into the Sea of Galilee. And so as you're standing up there and you're looking down this mountain, it reminds you of an amphitheater of a natural place where, or that, that is like what the Romans would have built with a flat ground on the bottom and then these seats all around. And it was designed to carry the voices of whoever was down at the bottom up through the crowds so that everybody could hear them. Because as we know, in those days, they didn't have microphones and they didn't have uh, PA systems and, and speakers and things like that. Jesus wasn't wearing a wireless microphone over his ear when he was preaching. And so he had to use the environment for his advantage. And so if you stand there in the spot, and our tour guide did this for us, we stand there and there's a road that goes right along the Sea of Galilee and you're way far away. I mean, the cars on the road look so small. They're like the size of ants. That's how far away you are from where the road is. But if you stand in the right spot and you don't have somebody talking on their cell phone right behind you, which happened, I think, both times that I was there, uh, you can hear the cars going by fairly loudly as if they were actually a lot closer. You can hear their motors and you can hear them kind of humming by on the road because of the water and the way that that area, that bowl is shaped. It carries the noise up that mountain really easily. Now, it's probably not as amplified as, as it would have been in Jesus's day because at the bottom of the mountain now is a big banana farm. And the banana farm is covered with a whole bunch of different tents to keep the pests out. So that kind of probably steals some of that amplification. But still, you get the effect when you're there that Jesus could have easily have stood down on the shore and spoken to a large crowd of people and those people could have heard. The other thing that's there that I found really interesting being there and physically seeing this was that the mountainside was covered in big boulders and so it wasn't just like a you know a grassy hill like we have over at ford field or something like that where it's kind of hard to sit on there no there's it's speckled with all these boulders all over the mountainside and so there's almost a natural uh, seating arrangement too for people as they can sit on those boulders and have a little bit more of a comfortable seating arrangement as they can kind of dangle their feet over one edge of the boulders and so it was neat to see the physical space that it could have been where Jesus preached this sermon. Now we know the Sermon on the Mount. Many of us know a lot of parts of the Sermon on the Mount by heart. We're going to recite another part of the Sermon on the Mount later um, by heart when we say the Lord's Prayer. 
and we know other parts of the Sermon on the Mount. We know the Beatitudes well, but I want to give you some of the context, at least within Matthew, of the Sermon on the Mount, because I think that we often forget about what the context is of this sermon and why it's so significant for Matthew's gospel. And that is that this is the first sermon we're shown of Jesus preaching to a multitude of crowds. This is the first time we actually are hearing out of Jesus's mouth, mouth a teaching to the people. Now we know Jesus was teaching before this already in the gospel of Matthew because earlier it says that he was beginning to go around the region and he was beginning to preach his message to the people. So he was already doing it, but this is the first time Matthew is recording for us a sample of what Jesus was teaching as he was going around and starting his earthly ministry. And the incredible thing about it is that Matthew's gospel has this trajectory that is focused on the kingdom of heaven or in the Gospel of Mark, it's said as the kingdom of God. And it's this, this idea from the Jewish people that God was going to reign over the earth the same way that God reigns over the universe in his throne room in heaven. And so heaven was literally going to come down to the earth and the earth was going to be recreated, restructured, reorganized to reflect the kingdom of the true king not the king that was usurped over this kingdom not satan not us as sinful human beings but the real true king was coming into this world and was in breaking his kingdom onto this reality and so this message that jesus proclaims is a kingdom message so what an amazing thing that at the very beginning of Jesus's proclamation of the kingdom is a series of statements about who is blessed, who is blessed. Now, I want to say a little bit about this word blessed, because there's some significance here in the Greek that kind of carries over from some Hebrew idioms that I think we really need to understand. When we think blessed, what do we think? When, when we're blessed in our, in our lives, it means that we have what? We have abundance, that we have security, that we have our health, that we have the things that make our lives, what? Easier, right? More comfortable, more luxurious. And so we feel blessed when things are kind of going our way and yet this isn't really the the word what the meaning of the word here is now there is some connotation that that you have contentment but it's different than that the word in the greek is makarios which is actually from an older root word in classical greek and many of the classical greek writers would write about this idea of blessing and they would attach it to the gods the only true people who were blessed in the Greek idea of, of the, the world were the gods because the gods could be completely content within themselves. They didn't need anything externally that were, would be a blessing to them or that would be something adding to them. They themselves were actually blessing others out of that which came 
from within them. And so this concept of blessing means much more than just having external things make our lives easier. It means that there's something internal within us that gives to us everything that we really actually need and actually overflows out of us and can become a blessing to others. This is what the word means. Another thing that we have to realize about the language here is typically in Greek and in any other language, you would have a verb. But in these seven phrases or eight phrases, the ninth phrase where the, the blessing of the persecuted is repeated, there is a verb. But in all the other, the original eight Beatitudes, there is no verb. Now we translate it and we have it where it says, blessed are the, right? And so R is our verb. It's a state of being, a pre present continuous state of existence. And yet in the Greek, there is no verb there. Literally, literally the first word, makarios, is an adjective. And then it goes on and it describes the next person, right? It says that the hungry are, it's not blessed, the, hung, the hungry are by their nature blessed. Not that they are going to be blessed. Not that it's, I've got mosquitoes all over me. Over here, you guys have transferred them over to me. No, that's okay. You can leave them there. But if you see me waving around wildly, it's gesturing more than I normally do. It's because of mosquitoes. This idea is that it's not they're, they're going to be blessed. It's not that they are being blessed. It's that they have a state of blessedness within them coming from within them, welling up from their very nature. It is a descriptive of their very state, not some kind of imputed thing upon them, not some kind of future thing in which they're going to feel one day when the kingdom fully embraces on this earth. No, it's something that is inherent from within that actually is a descriptive term to their nature. And so Jesus is proclaiming a reality now upon the people that he names in these Beatitudes. Now, the reason why they're called Beatitudes is because of the Latin word that is used to translate that Greek word makarios, and it basically is Beatitude or uh, similar to that word. And so that's where we get our term Beatitudes today. But this concept, this idea that the people are blessed internally with something that is in their nature and that is welling up within them is significant to what Jesus is talking about throughout the rest of the Gospel of Matthew about the kingdom of heaven. Now let's look a little bit at what this means for our world because our world is set up in such a way that blessedness doesn't come through the very kinds of people that Jesus notes. In the worldly way, blessedness comes when we do have success, when we gain political power or independence, when we gain wealth, when we gain luxury, when we gain security, and when we gain comfort, when we impose our will over other people's will, when we make our enemies suffer. This is the way of the world. Now, if you don't believe it, just look at the news for a little bit. We've heard stories in the last year of various dissidents in other countries being murdered, right? There was a very 
public display that became very public of one one dissident being murdered in a foreign country in an embassy right and and then being carried out in parts to try and cover up that they murdered this this dissident from their country we've seen all kinds of dissidents in other countries being thrown out of windows for showing and talking and telling the truth about what was going on with covid uh, in their country or being locked up and put in concentration camps. And so the world today still operates with an idea of silencing or crushing your enemies. Now, for those of you who are thinking, oh, well, but the United States is different. We are not like that. Well, let's think a little bit about what we've seen in the last few years in the United States. It's not that we have a dictator who's locking people up, but there is a dictator of the masses. Right? How many of you have heard this term? Just honk real quick if you've heard this term, cancel culture. Thank you, few of you. Cancel culture is this concept and this idea that if somebody says something in the public sphere and they are a public figure that I disagree with or that I think is wrong, even if it was 10 or 15 years ago when that thing wasn't necessarily thought of in the same way as we think of it today, even if that was wrong back then, we have this concept that we have to silence them. We have to crush them. We have to get them out of their position of influence. And so this concept has come up where people start to protest every single person who says something that they disagree with in order to try to cancel them, to get their sponsors to move away from them. And so even in our society, even in free and in liberal lands where we allow for people to have freedom of speech, there is still this innate nature within us, this way that this world we've built in sin works, where we try to crush, crush the opposition so that our will can happen. We try to seek for ourselves our ideologies, our comfort, our understanding, so that others would be bent to what we think is right and wrong. This is the way of the world. And so notice what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the what? Blessed are the, and then the descriptors that comes are always in all of these things that we wouldn't particularly think of as powerful or as the, the people who would be blessed in this world. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Blessed are those who, um, who are persecuted. These different concepts and these ideas that Jesus is talking about are not the values that the world holds for blessedness. And they are not the values that the Greek gods held for blessedness. And so Jesus, as he is breaking the kingdom into this world, is reminding us that the kingdom's shape is radically different than the shape of this world. That the kingdom's structure is almost inverse to the way that we structure our lives and our world. That the kingdom looks radically different because it's shaped off of a God who would be willing to become one of his creation, 
would be willing to be condemned by his rebellious creation and put on a cross so that we might have forgiveness and redemption. The kingdom of God is not shaped after the desires and the image of human beings in our sinfulness, but instead is shaped after God's own nature and character. And so we, as the people of the kingdom, are supposed to embody these statements that we see here. And we're going to be looking at that in the weeks to come. What does it mean for us to be each of these different statements? And how can we live into a life where we are kingdom people and not people of the ways of this world, but instead people after the heart of God? So I encourage you to come back to listen. But as we close, I want you to notice this. Nothing in this list is natural to us. But it is all natural to Jesus. If we look at this list and we think that we have to live up to this for salvation, then we can only leave from this list depressed because we realize how far we fall short of these values of the kingdom. And yet when we go down this list and we look at them, we can see how Jesus fulfills each one of these statements through his ministry on this earth those 2,000 years ago and his continued ministry through his body in the last 2,000 years. And so Jesus accomplished these kingdom prerogatives to not only show us the way of the kingdom, but to provide a pathway to kingdom living in God because he reconnected us with the one who defines the kingdom. He made humanity whole in his wholeness so that we might find our wholeness in him. Friends, this week, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, no matter if you find yourself even pressed and persecuted and hungry and thirsty or poor or whatever it might be, seek not contentment from the ways of this world, but seek to be content in the king over all things. Because truly, in seeking him, you will be filled up and will be blessed in this world. Come and enjoy all that God has given to you by taking some time this week to specifically sit down and to think about what God has offered to you in forgiveness, what God has offered to you in communion and fellowship with him that this world cannot offer, which turns the structure of this world upside down and makes you blessed. Go and be blessed by the Father of all blessings that you might become kingdom people, changing the world and blessing others out of that which wells up within you. Amen.